Well, greetings and salutations, y'all. It's uh, McCowan and Shannon on the uh, program for today. And um, this is hard to really get your eye teeth around, but um, we're like 10 days away from the opening of training camp in the National Hockey League. And we're going to talk to uh, Travis Green, the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, a little bit about, well, all kinds of things. But among them, that. I'm trying to remember what kind of training camp they had last year, John. Okay, so if you recall, uh, the, the regular season started last week in January. Right. So people, uh, once we got through the holidays, uh, players started to migrate back to their clubs, and they had probably had 10 days and one preseason game. Um, right. and, and then the 56-game schedule started, and then the schedule was rewritten how many times for COVID reasons and games rescheduled and everybody didn't think that the season could get fulfilled and the NHL did a good job. And uh, Steve Hatsopetros, the schedule maker did a magnificent job of rescheduling all the games and hockey gave out the Stanley cup. I think the second week of July. Well, uh, so, I mean, they had a brief training camp last year, but it was far from normal. I assume this year's training camp will be about as normal as it can be They are Well, yeah, they're trying to, uh, they're trying to make sure that we're back to the new normal with five or six preseason games um, and a, a regular season that starts on October the 12th. Well, we'll find out from our guest um, what the he projects the impact of that will be. Um, will it have any specific impact, especially at the beginning of the season for any particular teams, if you're a veteran team versus a younger team? And he's got a lot of new players in Vancouver, right? Jim Benning, the general managers, have been very aggressive in, uh, in trying to rebuild the team and uh, getting rid of some of the guys that uh, uh, wanted to leave and, uh, and, uh, and contracts that expired. But yes, Travis has got a, a few new bodies to deal with. We'll talk to him in uh, just a couple of minutes. Travis Green, the head coach of the uh, Vancouver Canucks, this time back after this. He's the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Travis Green uh, joins us um, from Vancouver, where um, I guess you're starting to put in some uh, some work with training camp less than two weeks away, huh? Yeah, we sure are. Um, you know, it's that time of year where coaches start to, I don't know about start, but they're dialing in and finer details of training camp and scheduling and you know, what you're going to show your team, uh, the order that you're going to show video, practice plans, all those kind of things. Hey, Travis, you, you have two new coaches on your staff, including Brad Shaw, who's uh, <laughs> allegedly the, the, you know, the, the defense guru of the National Hockey League. He's had a lot of impact in a lot of teams, St. Louis and Columbus, uh, uh, on record. Um, how, how, how does that affect your meetings and uh, is terminology different between coaches and, and how do you deal with two new coaches on your staff? Yeah, it's, um, you know, for us, it's, we've had a lot of the same voices in our group for a little while. Um, you know, we added Jason King last year who I thought did a phenomenal job. And, um, you know, I, I think when you add new coaches, it's sometimes they're bringing a little bit different terminology, uh, that you might use. Uh, sometimes they're bringing a little diff, maybe some different ideas about things and, 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 uh, you know, it's an adjustment period for them as well. Uh, learning new terminology, uh, discussing systems. We've done a lot of zoom calls the last, well, really for the last couple of months, just, uh, talking about our team, talking about different situations, how we want to play as a team. And, um, 
you know, now we're, we're getting together as a group for two weeks before camp and, and putting it all together, but it's, uh, it's been good. Uh, obviously Brad brings a lot of experience. I'm looking forward to working with him and Kyle brings a lot of, uh, some freshness to our group and, uh, different type of enthusiasm, which I think is also important with your group. And uh, I'm looking forward to working with both guys. How, how will we notice Brad's effect on the, the blue line? I'm not sure. To be honest, I think it's to be seen. Um, he's going to help us oversee a lot of our defensive uh, systems in our team and have input. Uh, he'll help in, you know, individual work as well with our group. And, and one thing about the NHL is, uh, well, there's only so many systems that, that are going to be played. And then a lot of teams sure. do, the, do the same things. Uh, you know, a lot of it is getting, getting your team to buy into playing that way. Uh, we've had a lot of offensive minded young players come through and, uh, you know, they do the, the offensive stuff naturally and, and getting them to make sure that they're, they're doing the right things on the defensive side is part of the process. And I, I the good thing about coaching our young guys that I've enjoyed is, uh, they are open-minded, um, they want to do what's well for the group. Uh, they want to win. And ultimately, that's part of the game that we need to be, we need to improve in. And um, we know that, uh, you know, I also think that if we have the puck a little more, we're going to, we're going to be better defensively as well. And, and, you know, it's not just D zone coverage that you're talking about. You're talking about how you manage the puck through the neutral zone as part of your game defensively. And, um, you know, if your overall game improves, uh, if your team improves, you know, obviously your defensive game is going to improve as well. Mm. So I'm intrigued by this, and I and I know I I'm not suggesting anything with regard to you specifically and your situation now with two new assistant coaches. But the, you have philosophies that you have um, developed over the years and have used as a head coach. When somebody new comes in, if they have a theory that is contradictory to yours or isn't exactly what you have ascribed to in the past. How do you manage that? Uh, is it, I mean, are you uber confident in yourself to the point where you tell them, well, this is how we do it here? Or are you more receptive to somebody else's ideas? Well, coaches can be stubborn. I know that. I no, no, really. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. And that's just, I think that's part of it. But I, but I do think uh, coaches also have to be open-minded. Um, you have to assess your team. You have to make adjustments. We taught, we, we, you know, we change our, some of the things we do, you know, mid season a lot, you know, I think every team does that. When you start to see where your team is struggling, certain parts, maybe your the quickness of your group, if you're tired, things are not what they, what you thought they were. And, uh, you know, you also have to make sure that you're going to blend with someone that you're going to work with. Um, it's not like we just hire these two coaches without talking to them and getting their philosophies. And, and, you know, I, I think personally, I like coaches that will bring new ideas. That's what it's all about. Uh, we talk about having open communication with our players. It's the same way in our coaches room. I don't want coaches on the staff that are afraid to voice their opinion and um, challenge thoughts and ideas. Uh, I and but we're also a tight enough group that we understand that 
you know, not everyone is going to see a play exactly the same way. I, I think uh, I like the way Brad thinks the game. Um, you know, he's, he's like, like you guys said, he's, he's been around a long time. He's got a good eye for the defensive game. And, and uh, I believe our team will be better in a lot of different areas this year. And I, and I know defensively is one of them that we need to be better at. On your whiteboard, uh, how many players do you think are different on the roster this year from last? Man, we were just talking about that this morning. Um, could be a lot of new players. Yeah, I, I think I've got uh, I've written down on one of my sheets right in front of me up to eight to ten new players on the team. We've probably got uh, between ten and fifteen guys that have only been here two years or less, mm. uh, and that's that's a lot. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to having a training camp. We need it. This group needs it uh, in particularly just because of uh, how many new players we have and getting the group, not just together on the ice, but uh, off the ice bonded together as a group. Yeah. Um, you know, there's something to be said for, for playing for each other, playing for the right cause, playing to win and ultimately uh, doing whatever it takes for the team to win and not necessarily whatever it takes for a person to have individual success. And I find that those go hand in hand anyway. When Social you, you do, do Sorry, the right things and, and yeah. play to win and play for each other. Uh, you usually play your best hockey. So we talk a lot about social chemistry in, um, in this business. And, and I'm sure you do too. And, you know, John and I have talked a lot. I don't know how much you've watched the Toronto blue Jays play, but the chemistry that they have in their dugout, is something that I don't, I, I've, I've been watching them since day one. I don't think I've ever seen, but you can't manufacture that. It, it, it kind of has to happen. Um, can you, how do you enhance the chance of your group getting together? Well, I, I've, since I've played the game, coached the game, it's talked about so much. And like you said, you can't just manufacture, um, you know, guys liking each other, guys getting along. Yeah. Uh, I think it starts by having good people in your room. Um, you also got to have a couple guys that are fun, loving guys, I think, that bring the group together. And at the end of the day, uh, nothing brings a team together like winning. <laughs> and um, I think that's the teams that win are probably the closest teams as well. Uh, you know, if you, if you really went and looked through it. But uh, uh, there are, I've also played on teams that had success there were pretty good teams that maybe they didn't get along quite, quite as well inside the locker room, but when they went on the ice, they played and, and, uh, you know, end of the bottom line is you got to win, but there is something to be said for having a close team that, that enjoys being around each other as well. Any chance that, uh, what you went through with, uh, all the 23 or 24 days of COVID last year can be one of those things you can <clears throat> make a positive now? Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't really looked at it that way. Um, you know, when you go through a uh, trying time, uh, you know, the, the, you learn from it. Uh, you look back and, and think about maybe things you could have done better, could, would have changed. Um, I think it's something that we can't dwell on last season as well. Um, it's over with and done with. And uh for us, it's about coming back and getting right back to where we, we were going a year before last season and uh, taking another step from that season. 
The, or, the organization has added two more guys that we haven't talked about yet. And that's, uh, mm-hmm. or I guess they're rejoined the organization and that's Daniel and Henrik, the Sedins. Yeah. Uh, what kind of interaction will you have with them over the next little while or at all? No, I think I'll probably have a lot of interaction with them. Um, just last two days, they've come in and sat with us, sat with coaches. Uh, I think they enjoy that part of the game. Uh, it comes more natural to them than the business side or the, or the management side, the, the actual playing. We had them in, uh, they just happened to pop in at the right time where we were watching some, some D-zone coverage and they sat with us as well. And, and uh, you know, I, I've been in contact with them since they retired. They've watched our team. I, I, I think they're both very sharp uh, individuals. I like how they see the game. And, uh, you know, over the course of the last three seasons, I've, I've talked to them about our team just, just to get their opinion once in a while. Uh, we have good conversations, and, and I know we're going to have that this season as well, especially having them on board. They, they see the game a lot different than most people. Be that their, their their chemistry is is so it look they make it look so simple. Travis, how do you how do you yeah, how do you translate I think that? When you say they uh, when they see the game though, the, like it's playing the game and seeing the game, and you'd be surprised at how uh, the things they believe in as far as two hundred foot hockey, playing the right way, simple things like having your stick on the ice, stick on puck. Uh, as smart as they were and the chemistry that they had, uh, which, you know, you can't create. And, and as great of players as they were, you know, Hall of Fame players, that, that, uh, you know, they, those things you can't just teach other people. But, but when you talk to these guys about hockey and, and how the game is played, um, they get it. They understand what it takes to win. And, and it's not the offensive stuff that I'm talking about. And, and that ultimately is what you hope all your players get to your, your star players. Well, you get to, I don't know if you've even thought about this, but will you have them address your team at some point in time? Is there value in that? Uh, I'm not sure. To be honest, we haven't got there. Um, I think just having them around um, is going to be a lot for our group is going to, is going to help our group. Uh, also them that, you know, this is new for them as well being in this, on this side of it sure, and how they, you know, even act or, or their communication with players is going to be a little different than they have in the past. And I, and I think, uh, you know, we're not going to script anything. We're going to just take it day by day and, and see what, uh, you know, there might come a time during the season where I think it's valuable for them to talk to the group. And I think that's, that's part of coaching. How do you motivate your group at different times of the year? Um, I'm not a big believer in just scripting how I'm going to do things is, you know, at this time, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes your team needs a kick in the ass. Sometimes they need someone from the outside to come in and talk to them. And maybe it's just a change of pace. Uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, Travis Green is uh, with us, the head coach mm-hmm. of the Vancouver Canucks. We'll come back after these messages. With Travis Green, the head coach of the uh, Vancouver Canucks, you've got an interesting uh family situation if i'm not mistaken your family is still in uh, southern california is that right yeah yeah um how do you manage that the um yeah it's been over the uh, course of a long stretch you know i guess it's uh it's become the norm for us uh the coaching world i I, it started a long time ago as far as uh i have a son that is autistic and uh, was diagnosed 10 11 years ago He's 12 now, 
And uh, at that time, we just felt like it was the best for him to be in California. Um, we've got, we got him into a place where he could get therapy that we thought was uh, amazing for him. And uh, my kids were in school there, and we just felt like it was the best thing for them. And we've, we've managed our way through it. And uh, I think that's part of the hockey life sometimes where you're, you're working so much during the season. But, uh, you know, Vancouver's not too far from, from there. So uh, now that, you know, COVID was a hard part because couldn't cross yeah. the borders or anything like that. So that was difficult. But it would be nice that the borders are open now. So do they come and see you or you, you shoot down yeah. there every once in a while? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. During the season, it's pretty hard to get away. Yeah. But uh, they, they'll, they'll be able to come up here um, periodically well, you, now. Well, you'll, you'll, you'll get an Olympic break to go home. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so that'll be all right. Hey, um, so the, the two biggest names in Vancouver right now uh, that are Canucks that aren't Canucks are, are Hughes and Pedersen. Right. You're, you're the coach. You're not the manager. It's not in your bailiwick. How do, you, uh, how do you sit on the sidelines and watch this play out, hoping that they're coming to camp? Uh, patiently. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the common sense will always prevails. Uh, we got two young players that are big parts of our future. Um, you know, obviously their agents have a job to do. Our, our management has a job to do. And, and I think at the end of the day, you want to find deals that both sides are happy and not one side is, you know, winning or losing. And, um, you know, for me as a coach, I just think it's really important that, uh, they're here for camp. Um, we have two young players that are, you know, obviously going to make a big jump in salary. They're big parts of our group. And, um, but yet they're younger players on our team still. And um, with improvement to be made in their game and, and in our team and where we want to go, I think it's important that uh, both the players are here for, for training camp because we need them. We need them to be here and be ready to go for game one. Season. Do you have any level of confidence that they will be there at this point? I do. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've said it the last couple of weeks that I'm confident they'll be here. And I think that confidence level comes from, you know, a us knowing that it's important they're here and B these two young men, I've, I've said it for years, they're humble guys. They want the team to do well. And I think it'll be important for them to be here as well. So, so how many times, you, how many times you call on Jim a day to say, are they, are they signed yet? Yeah. Uh, I haven't been bugging Jim about it, to be honest. I just, I, I, I think it'll get done. I think, and I, and I really believe that, like I said, uh, it'd be different if we had a couple of players that I think were, you know, disgruntled players. Um, but I think they really believe in our group and want to be here bad. And, you know, Petey missed a big part of the season last year and a training camp is going to be important for him. And, um, you know, you're not talking about two players that don't want to be here or, or two players that the team don't, um, don't know that are a big part of their future. So I got to think that both sides will get to an agreement knowing how important the training camp is for both the players and the team. And, and, and so would you continue and maintain your communication with the players just on the practical day-to-day -day stuff? I have, I've talked to them, you know, I've kind of paramount over the, over the summer. Um, I haven't talked to them in a little bit here. I'm, the coaches are kind of in our meetings and we're letting the players kind of breathe a little bit now because uh, 
you know, it's going to get, we're going to, we're going to talk to him a lot here coming up soon. Yeah. Um, and I would think you would be, I mean, you're not going to, obviously you're not going to talk to them about contract situation, but are you more reluctant to talk to a player in that kind of situation, just about the everyday thing, or you just, you, do you govern yourself the way you, you would under normal circumstances? Yeah. I, I, if, if they were here right now, I would talk to them just like it was normal. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably make a little bit more of an effort right now, not to reach out to players and call because we're going to overload them soon. Um, but it was probably the last time I've had contact with them was no different when the last time I talked to, you know, Pete, uh, Miller or Horvat or anyone on the team. And, um, it was just talking hockey, not talking about the contract, uh, but also not hiding from it, telling them I understand that they, they don't have it done and hoping to get it done soon. You, you talked about Bo there and, and Miller. Uh, you've got to be pleased with your leadership group on this hockey club. I am. Um, it's young still. And, um, but I have a lot of belief in the guys that are here. I, I know, I know them well now. I know I've seen us go from the twins leaving to building for a couple of years to playing their hearts out to get into the playoffs. And, and last year was a, was, was a tough year for our team, especially coming off that, that playoff year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from the outside, I, we didn't have a good season, but on the inside, uh, you learn and you grow a lot as a group when you're going through some hard things. And, uh, and that's the same thing as, as coaches relationships with players. Um, you grow through good times and, and, and successful moments, uh, the same way you grow through tough moments. And, um, so I do, I have a lot of faith in those guys. You're in a market in Vancouver that is an intense hockey market. Um, it is almost, it might be one of the most unforgiving hockey markets in, uh, in the National Hockey League. Shannon's laughing. So well, I, because it is, it is, Travis and I have talked about this. It is relentless is what it, it is. is. Well, but the unforgiving is the word that comes to my mind. Um, <laughs> like if you're playing well, great, they love you. But the minute things aren't going exactly right, they, they lose their minds. And I mean, we're, we're in a market in Toronto where um, failure has become the norm. Well, Travis played here. Come on. Yeah. And he understands it. <laughs> uh, but tell me what it's like being the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, given the, the peculiarities of the marketplace. You know, for me, it's, it's an honor. Uh, it's a privilege. It's uh, I, I, I honestly, I know you talk about that with the fan, but for me, that's the passion that the city has and how bad they want to win. Um, I grew up in BC and I, I, I think people of British Columbia, uh, they really love the game. They love the team. They want the team to do well. Um, you know, some of it's media driven, um, that when things aren't going well, people have jobs to do. And I understand that as well. And, but I, I do know, I've got to know some of the people in the city and, and the passion that I, I see and feel every day here is you wouldn't want it any other way. Um, I've played in markets where it's not like that. And I can tell you that you know, playing in the NHL or, or coaching the NHL it is a privilege. It's, it's, it's what you dream of doing. And, and with that, you know, sometimes it comes expectations and, and people want to win. They want, they want their team to win the Stanley cup. So uh, it's not all roses, though, like you said. It's not all 
uh, butterflies and rainbows every day. <laughs> and uh, there are some days where as a coach, you, you know, you, you can get a little upset with certain things that maybe you're asked or something like that. And that's just because uh, your passion is well, and you want the team to do well. And, and uh, I get it though. Hey, uh, uh, you, you, you played a long time in the NHL, but you never played for the Canucks. Did you, did you want to play for the Canucks as a kid? <laughs> you know what? I was thankful every year I played in the NHL. You give me a jersey, I'm going to wear it and, and wear it proud. And, uh, uh, but when, you're, when you're growing up in the Kootenays and you're, you're, out, yeah. you're, you're, you're on the pond, uh, you know, who are you as a, as a Canuck player or as a, who were you? No, I, I was a big Guy Lafleur guy when I first started uh, playing. Um, Loved watching him play. Uh, obviously, the Canadians were winning a lot. And, uh, you know, it kind of turned into early teens, I guess. I started, I, I liked Mario Lemieux a lot. Didn't like him as much when I played against him, but right. liked him, liked watching him. <laughs> no, <laughs> Heard the, that one the, before. The, the, the impactful, the, the 82, the 82 Canuck team, you would have just been a teenager in uh... yeah in the Kootenays and and that would that team had a lot of impact on a lot of a lot of us in British Columbia over yeah, the years sure so, um, so so that would that might have made you Canuck except you'd have to wear those darn sweaters yeah yeah no uh you know the white towels and, and uh sure you know King Richard and and watching that it was hard not to get uh you know be proud to be in BC at that time and and I was, I was fortunate enough that I had Steve Bozak live just down the street from me, a couple of houses down. Uh, his mom was a librarian and teacher at our school. So I, I, he was kind of the guy that I watched growing up a lot too. Pretty good hockey player. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it's going to be an interesting season. I, I, you know, I'm inclined always to ask how, you know, whether you're optimistic or mm -hmm. how optimistic you are, but I'm, I'm not going to ask you that because I, I think everybody knows that you know the Hughes and and Patterson thing has to get resolved, yeah. and you've got um, eight to ten new players. So at this point, it's really hard to assess what you're going to look like and what what you're going to be. But um, uh, it's a full season, we assume and hope. And yeah. uh, knock on wood, no COVID issues this year. Yeah. And uh, so it's it's really normal, and we wish you good luck. And um, hopefully, we'll have a chance to chat during the course of the season. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, it's been uh, been fun talking with you, and, and thanks again. It'll be more fun the next time we talk. We we'll do it again. All right, that's a deal. You'll have more like fun. Yeah, like yeah absolutely, absolutely. All right, Travis guys. Green, the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, back after this. See you guys. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Obviously, our thanks to uh, Travis Green for uh, uh, joining us. I think I assessed it accurately, didn't I? Oh, yeah. The prospect of the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, I don't even know how you evaluate the team. Well, I, I you know, there's Jim Benning has been, I think, the most aggressive general manager in the offseason. Oh, I agree. Uh, with what he's done and how he's trying to Im improve this hockey team. They've got, you know, they they needed to get rid of some some baggage. They did. Uh, 
but they also got some good young players like Dickinson out of Dallas that can can be difference makers. So, as you said, get the two kids signed, and I and and they I, I'm sure they will be signed for camp, uh, and uh, and see what happens. You know, they've got some really good uh, some really good parts, Bob. You know, Thatcher Demko has become a quality goaltender in this league, uh, and it all starts with goaltending. And if Hughes is playing well, then then they're in pretty good shape. They got Oliver Ekman Larson who played in Arizona. It's coming to play in a real hockey market now. And uh, if he can, uh, you know, get to the level that we all expect Ekman Larson to have been for so, so many years, uh, then this team can, uh, can be a difference maker in that Pacific division with Seattle arriving. It's, it's going to be an interesting division of who's going to make the playoffs and who isn't. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about Seattle next week. Yes. Yes, sir. Ron Francis on, uh, Monday or Tuesday. Um, meanwhile, elsewhere, we, we keep talking about the same old thing uh, day <laughs> after day after day. Another Canadian wins at the U.S. Open. Uh, the Blue Jays rattle off yet another victory, a sweep at Yankee Stadium. And, I mean, they almost don't look like they can lose a game. Um, no. Well, no. I'm sure they can, but they'll figure out a way. But, boy, they look good. And this is this is sort of what I don't want to put words in your mouth, but very early in this season, maybe even a little bit last season, I thought, boy, this is a team that could be really good if they could get, if they can get their starting rotation solid. It's as good as any rotation in the game right now. Just night after night after night. Manoa made a couple of bad pitches, but overall, he good performance. Just uh, they get great starting pitching every night. And, and let me remind you, um, a four-game sweep at Yankee Stadium without the guy that might win the Cy Young, without Robbie Ray. Well, he, they, he was there. They just didn't, he wasn't, no, the no, but he wasn't one of the, what he wasn't one of the four pitchers. I mean, oh. so that, that speaks to how well that uh, rotation is going and how deep they are uh, on the mound right now. That's, and then, Hey, listen, Vladdy's hitting again. When you see Guerrero, I, I mean, Oh, had a couple of hits last oh, night. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. They are, uh, they're doing, and Buck Martinez talked about it on, on Wednesday with us is that uh, it, there is a, it, it's not just one guy. It's, oh no, it's everybody. It's, it's everybody. It's, you know, different, different guys every night. And it's yeah. not one guy. Usually it's, it's a group of three or four every night that yeah. kind of get hot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even, uh, even listening to Montoyo's uh, demeanor in his zoom call after the game, it's uh there's a buoyancy in everybody right now. It is something to behold, something to behold. Well, it, it you know, seven, it's a seven game win streak now. And, and I think 10 of 11 or 11 out of 12, I can't remember. Yeah. Well, but um, I think so it's eight. They, I actually think it's eight. Is it eight now? I think so. I think you might be right. Uh, meanwhile, on the tennis courts, yeah. uh, here's, here's what's interesting. Um, the teenager, uh, Layla Fernandez, Will be the will now is now about to enter a match in which a she isn't playing somebody who has is a seeded player with only one digit right after the seed she's playing somebody who's ranked below her in the world who qualified to get into the U.S. Open and by about two months is younger than her right and two Canadian born two Canadian Canadian born players. Two Canadian-born players uh, in the uh, Emma was born in, in the U- U.S. Yeah. U.S. Open final. Yeah, 
Emma born in Toronto, moved to, to Britain in uh, when she was two years old, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wonder if that'll be a story uh, tomorrow. It better be. It better um, be. How about how and how about Steve Nash sitting in the uh, in in the box? That was and, interesting too. And the and the and and the the reference to Steve Nash and her her father's love of Steve Nash and Nash's drive and uh, you know now you're wondering. I mean, Steve Nash, obviously the coach of the Brooklyn Nets, but uh, it is uh, something to behold that uh, that uh, Canada has made a huge impact in New York City this week. Well, it is easy to favor um, Fernandez if you've watched her throughout this tournament, which John and I both have. Um, but I watched um, Emma play last night. Well, you don't want to say her last name either, do you? No, she's scary good. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, it's going to be an interesting match. And no. an 18-year-old who had to go through qualifying. The first, I believe this is right. I think the first qualifier ever to make the final at the U S open or I think you're right. at a major, maybe mm, wow. ever, ever. That's extraordinary. Yeah. It's, well, it's a hell of a story. And, and listen, we now, and we haven't even talked about uh, Felix yet. So, well, Felix goes up against uh, Medvedev tonight and um, well, he's the number two ranked player yeah. uh, behind Djokovic. Uh, so, don't get it, it it only it'll only get tougher in the final assuming Djokovic makes the final and I think we all believe he will but um uh tough one tonight for him by the way you are right it was it's the first qualifier at a major tournament there you go you are correct so there you go pretty well, impressive pretty impressive boy, it's it you know I have never been a big tennis guy I like tennis I like watching the major championships I have watched more of this United States Open than I've watched of anything. I look forward to it. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, a lot of the Canadians have been in prime time, which means I got the Blue Jays out of one eye and, uh, and the tennis out of the other eye. And, you and need, you need three TVs, Bob. You need three TVs. I know you have. I have them. Yeah, they're but they're still in boxes. They're in boxes <laughs> right now. Uh, no, it, I tell you what, it, it is, uh, it's easy and fun to watch tennis right now. And I, I wouldn't normally tell you that if we're going to Indian Wells or we're in Cincinnati, but Hey, there's something special, special about the U S open. Uh, and oh, but for me, it's all about the fact that there are Canadians in it. Oh yeah. No, no. I mean, that's right. the intrigue. If the, you know, if the two Canadians go out before the final, I'm not sure I'll watch either final. Yeah. Well, Fernandez is well, Fernandez is, or um, uh, yeah, Fernandez is already in the final. So, so I will watch that. So Bob, just the other thing to keep in mind when you watch her play. Yes, sir. She's five foot six and she hits the ball with such velocity. I mean, it is phenomenal of her ability and, and her racket control is unbelievable. She's tiny. She's five foot six. She's five foot six, but she's not physically. She does not appear to be physically strong. She looks fragile almost. Yeah. By the way, there, there, there was a great shot after her match was over last night as she left the court. Um, and it's quite emotional and a moving uh, piece of video if you if you go find it on the on the web, where she meets uh, the original nine female starters of the Virginia Slims tournament, the series, which really was the advocacy of women's tennis in the early seventies, and who the lady that introduced her to all of them was Stacy Allister. 
And Stacy again, who has had a huge impact uh, on tennis, not only in our country, uh, but around the world as yeah. uh, one of the leaders in, in women's tennis. So that to me was, uh, I, I was glued watching her meet Billie Jean King and Rosie Casals and the rest. It was to me, that was, Hey, she was, that was 1972. Uh, she was born in what? 1993, 92. Did she have to read? Sorry, 2002. I do my yeah. bad math. 2002. And to be able to walk in and, and see history like that, that, that would have been an awe-inspiring moment. OJ Aliassim against Medvedev uh, tonight. Blue Jays in action as well. And um, we're going to take the weekend off. And um, Good on you. Something special for you on, um, on Monday. We're not going to tell you about it. Somebody else will. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll be here. Have a nice weekend, Mr. Shannon. <laughs> I'll be here, Bob. Thank you. Um, we'll see you then. Goodbye, everybody. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.